All right, well, I am not Pastor Mark. Uh, Pastor Mark is, he's on a little bit of a rest, relaxation, vacation. And so uh, I am filling in this week, and, and Alan Franz will be filling in next week. Um, so that's what's going on here. Uh, so a trio of thieves got more than they bargained for a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, three men stole a U-Haul trailer from outside the residence inn. And once they got a little ways down the road, they broke into the trailer to see what they had stolen. Maybe it was a family on the move, and they, uh, they had all their possessions in there. Maybe they, maybe they got some electronics out of it, TVs and Xbox and all that kind of stuff. Or, or maybe it was like a band traveling, and, um, and all their musical equipment was in the trailer. Maybe, maybe they, they, they scored that. Or, or maybe it was like a handyman going somewhere and, and had a bunch of power tools. Like, what, what did they find? They risked everything to complete a task they viewed as supremely important, knowing they might get caught. They viewed it as worth the risk. So they broke the lock. They rolled open the back of that U-Haul trailer, and what they found would change their lives forever. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to camp here uh, for a little bit this morning. And in 1 Peter, what we'll find, it's a letter that Peter has written to some churches in Asia Minor, which is kind of like where Europe and Asia meet. Uh, These churches are located there, and he writes a letter to them. They're in the middle of persecution. They're suffering for their faith in Jesus. And Peter writes them a letter to encourage them to hang hang in there and don't quit on Jesus. And that's what we find. We're going to read a few sentences out of of, uh, one of these letters, and we're going to talk about what it means. So 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, God's Word says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are excited to open Your Word this morning. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would apply it directly to our hearts. That at the end of our time together, we would be more like Jesus Christ, your son. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So here in these few verses, Peter, if if I were just going to summarize it, I would summarize it like this. Live like the world's going to end. Live like the world's going to end. Now, now before you go out and you start um, lining up to buy gasoline... Uh, and uh, getting your big trash cans and dangerously pouring gasoline in there and what in tarnation? I mean, what's up with that? And and what about before you you uh, 
you go to H-E-B and you, uh, you buy all the bread and milk. And, and before, you, uh, before you go get all your guns and ammo and wait for the zombie apocalypse, when we say live like the world's going to end, Peter, Peter means something in particular here. And we're going to look at it in a second. But before we do that, I kind of have a problem with this text. Uh, the problem I have is, is he says the end of all things is at hand. And if I'm doing my math right, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. And some of your translations might say the end of all things is near. And I'm thinking like, in my mind, 2,000 years isn't very, isn't very near or at hand. So as I, as I look at this text, I have a problem with that. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you would come to find out that this word that Peter uses for the end... This Greek word that he uses for the end is not a word that means like the period of a sentence. That's not what that word means. Um, when, when Peter uses the word end, it, it's a word that actually means the end goal, the result. So all this has taken place over here, and now this is the result. So maybe not like the period on the end of the sentence, but maybe like the, the final period of like a basketball game, the fourth quarter. Maybe, maybe that. So let me, let me help you understand. So um, we could summarize all of human history like this, okay? Four words. The first word is creation. As we, as we understand the Bible and we understand human history, the, the first word that, that kind of begins human history is this word creation. God created all that exists and includes mankind. He created us to be, ju- uh, to, to be um, in his image and he created us to love him and to trust him in all things. And so creation, that's the first word. The second word is this word fall. And if you're reading your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, you you get to Genesis chapter 3 and you see the fall um, that we sinned against God. Man sinned against God. And everything that is wrong with planet Earth is wrong because sin has entered the world. It doesn't take us very long to look around planet Earth and see that, that things don't function as they should. Not just nature, but relationships. Everything is broken. Things are not right, and it's, it's ultimately the result of sin entering the world. So creation, fall, and then starting in Genesis chapter 3 onward, um, throughout human history, you have this idea of redemption. Starting in Genesis chapter 3 begins God's plan of redemption, where he, he preserves a group of people, Abraham's family, Abraham's people. He preserves them. Sometimes we read the Old Testament and we think, that it's just a bunch of like moralistic uh, Aesop's fables. Like if I do this and don't do that, and if I'm good in these ways, then God will like me. If I can just be like this character and don't be like this character in the Old Testament, then I'll, I'll have it all together. But that's not the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the main purpose of the Old Testament is to teach us God keeps his promises. And he's preserving a people, Abraham's people, all the way through to the New Testament when the hero sh- shows up. Jesus. He's, he's Abraham's family. He shows up and he saves the day. Um, he's crucified. Um, he's buried. He's, he's, he's dead. For the forgiveness of our sins, we trust in him. Uh, we, we can be forgiven. And then he's raised from the dead so that we can also have eternal life. That's redemption. Okay, so creation, fall, redemption. Well, then the last word is this idea of recreation. Recreation. So there's coming a time when the Lord Jesus will return, and when He returns, He's going to make all things new. 
He's, he's going to, um, I've heard it said this way, make everything that's sad come untrue. The things that the fall broke, he's going to make new again. And even better this time around. That's the recreation. Now, you and I, we, we kind of live in this, this last period, the fourth quarter, where redemption has already happened. There's not another king that's to come. There's not another Savior. That's already happened. We live in the church age. We're, we're ready. And we're, we're waiting. And, and we're in the fourth quarter. That, that's what Peter is saying. We're in the fourth quarter. The end of all things is at hand. We're, we're living in it. And he says, so we're going to live like the world is going to end. And we're going to do three things. If we're going to live like the world is going to end, it's going to involve three things according to 1 Peter chapter 4. The first thing is this. Think clearly if you look at verse 7 the end of it it says therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded be self-controlled and sober-minded those two words actually they're just synonyms they mean the same thing they mean think clearly be clear-headed shake the fog from your mind the image here is of someone who's in a drunken fog their judgment is clouded now, I'm going to encourage us um, this morning to think clearly, to, to, to shake the fog out. But I'm not accusing us uh, of, of being drunk on alcohol. But I am accusing us of being drunk on something else. We are so often drunk on culture that we no longer see the way things really are. And we make decisions. We make important decisions that involve us and our family and our kids with impaired judgment. And we drink in culture through social media, through TV, 24-hour news cycle, through Netflix, through music, through friends and even family. And like a frog in boiling water, we're so deeply immersed in culture that we can't even tell that it's killing us. And we're just used to it. We're, we're drunk on culture, and we don't even know it. We, we believe that bigger and richer and easier and nicer means better. We believe that money is the answer to all of our problems. If something's wrong, I can just throw enough money at it, it'll be all right. When, when Jesus tells us that, well, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We believe that our lives are our own, and no one can tell us what to do with it. But then we turn around on the other hand and we say, Jesus is Lord of my life. How, how, does that, how does that work? We watch social media and we begin to play this comparison game where I look at, I look at somebody on social media and they've got it all together, so I must be worthless. Or we go the other way with it. We go on social media and we look at somebody's profile and we see all the drama that they've got in their life and, and they, they're just putting it out there for everybody to see. And so... Man, I feel pretty good about myself that I don't have the things that they've got going on. See, we're, we're drunk on culture. And Peter says here in this letter, he says, snap out of it. Wake up. It's the fourth quarter. Time is running out. See, in the first quarter, you might lollygag a little bit. You might drag your feet at the beginning of the game. But it's not time for that anymore. It's time to step up your game. Time to take some risks. We've got a game to win. Think clearly. 
Well, the second thing Peter says in the text is, he says, love constantly. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, he says. This is a love that persists through difficulty. A love that persists through difficulty. See, if you're drunk on culture and you're not thinking clearly, you, you might have this idea of love all mixed up. And, and we, we've had a sermon series over the last couple of months out of 1 John, and if you were paying attention, you probably heard multiple times, love is not a feeling, love is a choice. See, so many times we, we have feelings like, I can't love that person. I can't love that person. Because in our mind, um, my love of another person is, is uh, rooted outside of me. They've done something. They've said something. It's outside of my control, so I can't love them. That's not biblical. What's biblical is uh, love is rooted inside of you. The origin of love is inside of you. You make the decision on whether or not you're going to love someone. And we, we heard in 1 John, this is how you know that you love God. This is straight out of 1 John. This is how you know that you love God. You love other people. I'd say the reverse of that is true, too. This is how you know you don't love God. You don't love other people. See, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is something that you do. You demonstrate your love for others in the things that you do. You can't just say, I love someone. You demonstrate those words with action. For example, you count someone else's interest as more important than your own. Or you decide that you're going to act for the good of someone else, even if it costs me something, it's a sacrifice to me. That's the biblical idea of love. And Peter goes on to tell us why loving constantly is so important. He says at the end of verse 8, he says, Since love covers a multitude of sins, The reason why you should love constantly is because love covers a multitude of sins. It starts to become second nature to overlook the offenses of others when you spend all of your time loving them. Things that seemed so big before aren't so big anymore. Now when we talk about loving one another, um, I immediately think, of family, I immediately think of like husband and wife, loving one another. And I'm sure, uh, I, I pray that it's not the case, but I'm pretty confident that in a room like this, with this amount of people in here, um, there's probably a few marriages that are having a hard time. And so I, I would say, let, let's take this verse and let's apply it directly to your heart. Keep on loving one another earnestly don't give up choose to love and choose to demonstrate love through action it's the fourth quarter peter says there's no time for games there's no time for selfishness love one another look when when a husband and wife can put the gospel on full display in this way when when you've been wronged and you're the offended party when you can forgive, even, even if it hurts, even when it's a big thing, when you can forgive, you put the gospel on full display for all to see that Christ has loved us. Christ has forgiven us. 
He didn't wait for us to, to apologize. He forgave us and He took immediate action by dying on the cross. And you put the gospel on full display in your marriage when you forgive, when you persist in love for one another, even when it's hard. But as we look at First Peter, we come to understand that uh, the, this letter was not written to, to a married couple. That's not who this letter is intended for. No, this, this letter was actually written to a church, to a group of churches. The purpose was for this letter to show up in the mail. They, they, don't, have a, they, don't, they don't have a postal service in the first century, but it would show up in the mail, I guess. And, and they would show up for Sunday morning worship and, and they would say, Hey guys, we got a letter from Peter. Everybody gather around. I'm going to read it to you. And they, they would just sit down and, and that would be their sermon for the day. They would read Peter's letter. This was intended for local churches. This letter is intended for central. We're supposed to apply this together. And so when he says love one another, who are you supposed to love? Let me give you the answer. Look to your left and look to your right and look behind you and look at the back of the head of the person in front of you. Those are the people that Peter is telling you to love. Those people, the people of central, love one another, he says. Love constantly. And you demonstrate your constant love for the people of Central. Let me give you some examples of this. You can demonstrate your love when you put your own preferences in the back seat and stick with us. When you, when you take your preferences and the way you feel like things should be done and you put them in the back seat, and you stick with us. That is when you show love for one another. Constant love. Persisting love for one another. Let me give you an example. It, it's, it's happening. Here we go. You ready? I'm going to do it. Get your popcorn ready. I need a drink. <laughs> of water. Uh, <laughs> some of you are quick on your feet. Uh, here, I'm going to address it. Okay, here we go. This is good. This is not going to be bad. I promise. Um. You demonstrate your love for the people of Central when you put your preferences in the back seat. Number one on the list, music. When you put your preferences for music in the back seat and you say, I'm sticking with Central, that, that's, not my, that's not my favorite kind of music. That's not even my second kind of favorite music or third kind of favorite music or fourth. That's not even on the list kind of music. But when you say, but I love Central, and I don't mean the organization, I mean the people, I mean the faces of the people I'm looking at right now. I love those people. And so music, you know, I, I got a radio at home. But, I, but I, I know that those songs minister to these other people over here. I know that, that that kind of music ministers to them, and I love them. And I want them to be connected to God in that, in that way. And that, that is a way that you demonstrate your love for others. Now, on the flip side of that, next week, uh, we have something called Throwback Night of Worship. And um, this originated in a, a few different places, but one of the places this originated is there was a group of people who came to me, senior adults in our church who came to me, and, and they said, we are not complaining about the music, um, but we do miss the music that we grew up on. 
And so, well, you know, we don't think that our music should be sung on Sunday mornings in, in, the, in the old style. Like, we don't think that should take place. What we're doing, it, it, it serves the need. But is there another venue for that? Is there another place that we can, we can sing some of the old songs, some of the old hymns and four-part harmony and, and grab some of the old Gaither tunes? Is, is there a place we can do that? And so we started thinking and some other people had some ideas. And so we're going to try this next Sunday night. 6 p.m., throwback night of worship, and the idea is we're going to sing some of the old songs out of the hymnal. We're going to have some people come perform some special quartet church members, come perform some quartet kind of four-part harmony stuff. And that, that's us, and there's ice cream at the end. Like, if I haven't told you yet, well, then I'm in, right? Uh, but that's, that's our way of telling you, if, if, if that's you in, in, in those shoes, that's us telling you, we love you too. And we, we honor you for honoring us. And we, we respect you and we love you so much. We want you to be ministered to as well. That, that's a picture of central loving one another. You put your own preferences in the back seat. Another way that you love one another is you choose to forgive. Somebody in the church has wronged you. They've said something. They've done something. Uh, they whooped your kid. I don't know. They did something. And, and, and you hold it against them. And either you're tempted to leave the church because that person wronged you, or you're just kind of hoping they'd leave the church because they wronged you. Right? No, no, no. Somebody who is, is loving one another constantly is somebody who chooses to forgive who chooses to forgive. Man, another way that we love one another is by being hospitable. Verse 9 in 1 Peter 4 says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now in the first century church, this kind of hospitality was, they had house churches. So if we were having church at my house, that was inviting more persecution on me, so I might be tempted to grumble a little bit. Why do I got to have church in my house all the time? Right? Some of you community group leaders feel that way. I got messed my living room all the time, um, but but the idea here is is be hospitable and welcoming. Now I'm going to say something that's going to sting. It's okay because it stung me first. There's been a phrase that I've heard used about Central from different locations. It's come from different people who don't know each other and are not talking. And when you hear something about Central from one person, you might be tempted to roll your eyes and be like, "Yeah, whatever." You. You're just a difficult person to deal with. But when you hear it from multiple people, you hear it from multiple people, there, there, there's some truth in this. Now, here's the phrase that I've heard used about our church. Central is friendly, but not welcoming. Now, as we think about that, you think about, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, what does that mean? Friendly, but not welcoming. Aren't those the same words? No, because here's what they mean. Well, they're nice. Nobody's, they're not like mean, like find your own seat. They, they help me find a seat. They shake my hand. They smile. They show me where the coffee's at. They might even invite me to be a part of their, their ABF. They're friendly, but welcoming? Not really. They're not really inviting me into their life. They're not inviting me to be a part of what God's doing in their community group. They kind of just kind of leave me off to the side. And I've heard that from more than one person about Central. Friendly, but not welcoming. And I, I'm still wrestling with what, what exactly that means. But I, I know that if, 
if you'll take that and you'll say, man, I, I want to be this first Peter 4 kind of person. I want to live like the world's going to end. And I want to be, I want to show hospitality. I want to love one another. You go, go to the Lord with that and see, how, how can I be more welcoming to outsiders, to new people? How can I be more welcoming, not just friendly? Be hospitable. Another way that you can love one another is to serve. And that's really the third thing. So, so live like the world's going to end. Number one, think clearly. Number two, love constantly. And number three, serve passionately and powerfully. And you can look at the text. We won't take the time to really look at it. But essentially what it says is that the Holy Spirit has given each of you a gift to serve the church. That, that this church central right here has all that she needs to be all that God wants us to be. In you. In you. God has uniquely gifted each of you with a gift to serve the church. And, and the church at large, not just central, just the, church, the American church, has sinned against you because we've led you to believe that the only way you can serve in church is if you're willing to get up and do music or if you can teach somebody. And some of you are like, you don't want me on the stage doing music, and I'm not a teacher, so I guess I can't serve the church. And that is false. God has uniquely gifted you to serve the church. And, and some of you can teach, but some of you can lead, and some of you can sing, and some of you can work with kids. And some of you are more behind-the-scenes person. You just get stuff done, but you don't want anybody looking at you. Some of you are administrative. Some of you have faith. Some of you are prayer warriors. Or there are many other ways that you are gifted and you can serve Central. And, and, and kids and, and, and teaching and music are not the only ways to serve. Some of you are really good with hammer and nails. I mean, there, there are places that you can plug in, places that you can serve at this church. Some of you are really good behind a camera. Man, there, there are so many photographers in this, in this church. We, you can serve the church using your gifts. God has given us everything we need to be the church that God wants us to be in you. In you. Then Peter calls us out. He says, uh, it's the fourth quarter. It's the fourth quarter. You, you've, you, you've got fresh legs. You've been sitting on the sideline for too long. Quit sitting around and letting somebody else do all the work and, and, and somebody else to take charge. You take charge. God has given you a gift to serve this church. Use it passionately and powerfully in the, in the same way that Peter says in, in chapter 4, with the strength that God supplies. And so Peter says, live like the world's going to end. Think clearly. Love constantly. Serve passionately and powerfully. Let me ask you this. If, if, you, if you knew... That the world is going to end next week. What would you do? Man, I, I'd eat Rudy's every day. <laughs> That's what I'd do. That's what I'd do. I, I'd eat ice cream for breakfast and Rudy's for lunch and dinner. That's what I'd do every day. I don't know. I don't know. What, what would you do? Some of you skydiving, right? Or Rocky Mountain climbing or 2.7 seconds on a... Now I know who those people are. All right. If you don't get it, don't worry about it. But seriously, what conversations would you have? Who would you forgive? What things would you confess? 
What things would you just let go for once? One of the greatest sermons ever preached, modern ser- sermons that, that's ever been preached, happened in the year 2000. Uh, there was a, the Passion Conference is a thing that's been going on since I think 98, maybe 97. Um, been going on, but in the year 2000, they did an event called One Day. And it's geared towards college students, and the idea is that the college students would come together and pray. And there was going to be um, cutting-edge bands, and there was going to be um, all kinds of, like, the hip, cutting-edge preachers. But there was one guy who showed up to preach who didn't fit that bill at all. Um, it was a guy who was more like the college student's dad. Comes on the stage. It was a man by the name of John Piper. And he preached a sermon at one day in the year 2000. He preached a sermon sermon that shook the foundations of an entire generation of college students. I wasn't there. Um, I got to go the next time they had a one-day event. Uh, But I have plenty of friends who were there. Some of them are pastoring in Austin, Texas right now because of that sermon. In the first five minutes of this sermon, um, the, the crowd was both captivated by what was being said but also just absolutely decimated by what was being said. And so what I want to do, I just want to take a couple of seconds. I want to read you kind of the text of what John Piper said. This is the sermon he preached um, in the year 2000, just a couple of, a couple of sentences from what he said, and, and, and we'll go from there. He said, Three weeks ago we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor and the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, she was also pushing 80 and going from village to village in Cameroon. Well, the brakes in their car gave way, and over a cliff they went, and they're dead instantly. And John Piper asked this question. He says, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s almost, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ, magnified among the poor and the sick and the hardest places. After 20 years, after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, they fly into eternity with death in a moment. And he asks again, is this? A tragedy, and the college students call out, No! And Piper continues, It is not a tragedy. He says, I'll, I'll read you what a tragedy is, and he pulls out a clipping from Reader's Digest, and I don't even know if that thing exists anymore, but in the year 2000 it did. And he, he pulls it out and he starts to read. He says, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he said. And he continues, there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. Don't. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, is this what you're going to say? Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. I got a nice golf swing. Look at my boat. 
And then he said these words that have resounded for 17 years, closing in on two decades. Through his ministry, he he said this right here. Don't waste your life. And he quotes a poem. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. See, how horrible would it be to stand before Jesus at the end of all things and find out that everything you devoted yourself to was a waste. A trio of thieves stole a U-Haul in New Mexico. When they opened it up, what they found inside changed their lives forever. They, they broke the lock and they rolled open the door. And do you know what they found? They found a casket with a dead body in it. See, a, a husband and wife, her, her father had died and they were going from uh, you know, Oklahoma to New Mexico and he, he wanted to be buried in New Mexico so they were driving his body. I don't know if that's the normal thing or not, but that's what they were doing. They were taking this body in a U-Haul to, to uh, New Mexico. And these thieves stole it. They risked everything to acquire what they thought would be a treasure, but instead what they found was death. And I'm so afraid that me, I'm talking to me and you, I'm so afraid that we're going to spend our lives working and working and trying and devoting ourselves to things. And then when we get to the end of all things, we stand before the creator of the universe. And Jesus looks at us and he says, I've invested in you. I've given you gifts and talents and abilities. I've given you a career where you you worked a job. I've given you a family. I put you in a neighborhood with neighbors. I, I put you in a church to serve. I've invested in you. Where's the return on my investment? And we're, we're going to spend our lives working and working. We're going to stand before him and we're going to say, here, here, here's your return, Lord. Look at my shell collection. Look, look at my boat. I got a boat. Now, I'm not attacking people who want to buy a boat. Go buy a boat if you want a boat. But what about this one? My kid got a scholarship. My kid got a scholarship. I checked off all the items on my bucket list. Is that good enough? Look at my house. I was able to upgrade enough. Look look at my house now. Peter is calling us through the text. And he says, none of that matters. It's the fourth quarter. The end of all things is at hand. Are you investing your life into things that really matter? Think clearly. Love constantly. And serve passionately and powerfully. I'm going to invite us to a time of response. And and what we're going to do is uh, we're going to, in a second, we're going to stand and we're going to respond with two songs. And sometimes, I know, I've been in your shoes, I know sometimes the tendency is, well, time of response I'm not going forward to pray at the altar. The, the elders and the prayer team, they're going to come forward and they want to pray for you. But some of you are like, I am not walking down that aisle to the front. And so I guess this response time isn't for me. And that's not the case. 
This right now is a time for every single person in the room to respond to God's word. So that might mean that you stay right where you're at and you sing at the top of your lungs. That might mean that you stay right where you're at, but you sit down and you pray and you do business with the Lord. That might mean that you stand up, you walk to the other side of the room and you apologize to somebody. Or you stand up and you walk to the other side of the room and you tell somebody, I forgive you. You wronged me in these specific ways, but I I forgive you. I'm letting it go. I'm loving you constantly. There are multiple ways that you can respond in this time. It doesn't involve just coming forward and and having somebody pray for you. So that's that's what we're going to do. The the band is going to come forward. I'm going to pray, and we're we're into a two-song response time. Not really the time to check out, time to respond. This is it. This is what the Lord wants to do in us and through us this morning. And so I'm going to pray, and uh, prayer team can come forward, and we're going to respond.